on this episode of Dig Me Out. It's a grower. It sounds like an avalanche, like this, this wall of fuzz and guitars and stuff. It's almost like he's taking on a different genre in every other song. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi. Joining me once again, I try to get rid of him, but he keeps coming back. Jay Ziak. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm trying to do the... Um, that was my Tim impression. Wit- Hello. Hello. You know, I never intended for the sign-on to be uh, hello and welcome. It just, I can't think of anything else to say to start the podcast. Yeah, that's the hardest part of doing this whole damn thing is the it is. the chatter at the beginning. We should just get right to it. Okay. <laughs> to, to, this this episode, we're uh, we're going to skip all witty banter and get right into the album. Social interaction is hard. It is. Not like we haven't known each other for like... 15 years. Oh. Wait, what? That long? Yeah. Seems like that, doesn't it? Seems like just yesterday we were in a trailer in Bowling Green listening to Pacemaker Jane demos. Uh, We're going to talk about the album 11th Avenue by Ammonia. Now, some of you are probably wondering, who the hell is Ammonia? Ah, Jay, do you know who Ammonia is? Or are or were? Whatever proper verb you want to use there. You mean the chemical? Well, no, I'm speaking of the band, actually. Do you know know what their hit single was? Can I guess? Yes. Is it on this album? Nope. Oh, no. I have no idea, then. The song called Drugs? Can you sing Um, it for me? Oh, do you want me to sing it, really? (laughs) It went like, um, drugs and money... And nothing, blah, 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 blah. It was like a novelty hit. Like, it was like a guy singing about drugs. Huh. Um, it was on their first album, which was called uh, Mint 400. And it did pretty well. I'm going to get into the history, so I'll just back up and say, the band formed in 92 in Perth, Australia, as a fuzz swirl. Oh. Not fuzz gun, which was based in Bowling Green, but fuzz swirl. That's horrible. Yes. They quickly changed their name because it sucked. And in 93, they had a lineup change. And then in 94, released an EP called In a Box on Murmur Records in Australia. In 95, they released a second EP and released the album uh, Mint 400, which had the big single drugs, which is like a video on MTV. And, you know, they were in the buzz bin and got played on you know college radio and CMJ wrote about them and stuff like that three years later they put out their second album three. which i guess three years probably was the, the what we discussed previously was the uh of t- the average, the average. time which is what kills your career is waiting three years especially if you're an australian band with one novelty hit yeah uh, you don't want to wait that long no it was recorded in 97 released in 98 it was recorded or and produced by dave fridman who has recorded in the 90s he recorded the flaming lips and mercury rev and then in the past decade of the aughts he recorded phantom planet clap your hands say yeah mgmt okay go so he's kind of the one of these like indie not indie but alternative go-to producers Hmm. Uh, 
Lake Albini that a lot of bands have worked with, and a lot of bands seek them out. Well, the production of this album was pretty good, so... Yeah, they broke up in uh, 99, and then all the other band, all the other members of the band, all the, or all the members of the band, went on to other bands that didn't do anything. So this is the second of two albums. This is the second time in a row now where we're, we're reviewing the last album before we've done the first or earlier albums. Well, if the first Actually, had a hit on it, then we don't review it. Yeah, we don't want to get into that. We want to review the really obscure stuff. <laughs> Go watch MTV if you want to see the hits. Yeah, exactly. That's where you'll find the hit songs <laughs> from from 1995. So 11th Avenue, this is an album that I brought, and I want to get your opinion on it. What do you think of this album? It's total shit. No. Um, it's, uh, it's strangely Australian. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny to me, like, listening to this, so I like a lot of Swedish bands, Scandinavian bands. And of course. I found that Australian bands sort of have a lot of similarities. They have a unique ability to take American and sort of European culture, particularly British culture, and kind of combine it together in unique ways that neither bands in America nor uh, England can do. <laughs> um, and Ammonia is a good example of that. So they kind of take a lot of... Uh, what I heard was a lot of sort of 90s uh, influences, so like, you know, shoegaze stuff, uh, Britpop, um, you know, grunge, that sort of thing. And they sort of mix it together in a fairly unique way that it's uh, kind of their own thing. Um, unfortunately, on t at times, you know, they get like they're trying to write a hit. I think, mm -hmm. and things kind of fall apart and become way. Well, less, I have a story about that. Way actually, less interesting. What, what do what do you got? Well, they re they had put together the album, uh -huh. and if you'll notice on track twelve, uh -huh. there's actually like a hidden track uh -huh. called "Satin Only." Okay, that was released prior to the album as like a standalone single, and it didn't chart. So it was considered a failure. So they stuck it on as the bonus track on the album. And the record label said, well, we don't hear a hit. We're not going to release anything. We're not going to release it. So the lead singer, whose name is escaping me, wrote the second song, You're Not the Only One Who Feels This Way, like in a week and recorded it. And they said, okay, well, that'll be the single. Huh. Well, and that's how that's how the because basically the album got held up because they didn't have a, a single on it. Well, which that, I find odd because I don't even think that that's the catchy song on the record. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I love the okay, I love I love the songwriting structure of that song. So what what they do is they, you know, comes in quiet. I think they do the guitars like direct in, mm -hmm. and uh, he does the first verse, and then he actually goes to the chorus that way. Come to this conclusion It's walls couldn't stay This is the first and last time Ever feel this way Ever feel this way You're not the only one who Feels this way You're not the only 
Right. And then halfway through the chorus, the rest of the band just comes in and it sounds like an avalanche, like just this wall of fuzz and guitars and stuff. So that's really effective. And they sort of, you know, the song's only four minutes long. So at that point, you got about, you know, three minutes of song left. Um, so it's pretty, pretty well written in terms of a hook. And they just keep repeating that line over and over again. Um, the problem is that lyric is a little, especially now, listening to, to that line, you're not the only one who feels this way, over and over again. It's so mm-hmm. generically 90s that it's yeah. a, it gets a little painful. But in terms of songwriting, like I think that song's really well done. And uh, production-wise, I think it's really well done. Um, I think the production of the whole album is pretty solid. I mean, yeah, it's pretty fun to listen to. I mean, there's just a lot of just different guitar textures and it, they somehow co- it sounds like the same band through the whole thing for the most part from a production standpoint but every song sort of just has different layers that they come up and they use keyboards in like in a really cool way in terms of every song if it if it has keyboards it's a different keyboard sound and it's used in the song in a different way than it is in the, in the previous way previous song so right. like track one has sort of this this kind of haunting weird sounding synth underneath it uh one of the other songs i think kill switch maybe or four seven one one maybe i don't one of the song other songs has kind of like a buzzsawy kind of synth in it yeah cool and it blends with the guitars and it just makes it sound really thick and heavy and then one of the tunes uh has an organ in it i want to see which one it was but it's just like a straight up organ part that kind of has a cool melody to it um so it kind of almost reminds me of like the Caesars or something. Um, so I think from a production standpoint, there's some. It's sonically really cool, and I love I love just kind of listening to all the different instruments kind of intertwine. And there's a looseness about it. The performances too, which is kind of nice. It's, it's Hold on like, a second. Can you hear what's going on? I hear a slamming. Sort. That's the, that's jo- I closed the door, and Jojo was like tearing the door apart trying to get in the room let him in all right i'm gonna let him in all right all right i'm now joined by uh my co-host host co-co-host joseph josiah who was apparently very upset that he was not being included he had plenty of things to say about this record come on let jojo in he's in he's the man and now he's now he's shy. Now he's not speaking. He's this show's uh, Beetlejuice. All right, let's get back into this. You were saying about organs. I'm trying to find a song that has organ. Oh, it's twelve. Well, the first song has an organ on it. Eleventh Avenue, which is the the most shoegaze, I'd say, influenced song.
I mean, that brought up like early Verve, Slow yeah. Dive, and early Catherine Wheel, Ride, Lush, all those bands. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was a, like a perfect combination of everything they do. And the thing that's interesting is that if you listen to his vocals, not just his delivery, but just like his um, cadence and everything is so different on that song than a lot of the stuff on the rest of the record. It's almost like he's taking on a different genre in every other song. Mm-hmm. Kill Switch is a pretty heavy song compared to that, as is um, like Afterglow and Monochrome. Like there's there's quite a few songs in here that get into like the heavier end of the alternative sound. Yeah, definitely. I think that's when it works the best. Um, like uh, for example, a song, song six, uh, Baby Blue. It's a yeah. total Beatles ripoff. Mm-hmm. And that that was one of the songs that came to mind of, you know, just them maybe trying to write a hit or something. Um, that it just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. It, it kind of comes off bland. And um, there's another tune out here that it reminded me of Supergrass, which I love Supergrass, but just not a very good Supergrass song. Um, you know, they they sort of have a sarcasm about them and just kind of a goofiness to them and this band just doesn't right there's like a personality to it yeah it doesn't really work for this band um um uh keeping your keeping my hands tied what did you think of that song was the like slower um acoustic song i liked it i i didn't like i I mean i like the uh so they have it has accordion in it which is kind of nice and then it introduces accordion is but by the time well, it gets to where the other string parts come in, I, it starts to lose it for me because it just doesn't... Yeah, it's, I kind of felt the same way. I felt like it was overproduced. Like, that would have been a nice, you know, strip it down, keep it simple, just add the cello, maybe a little violin with it, but don't bring in, like, a whole string section. Yeah, that was... Because then it just was, like, overloaded. Yeah, I agree, and it killed my interest up until that point, and then I sort of failed every time it would come on. Um... And just vocally, he he is he has an interesting voice. There's times where you're like, okay, this guy's not really that talented. And there's other times where there's a lot of harmonies on here and stuff. Right. And it actually is pretty well done vocally, and that's just one song where you're. It, I don't know. It doesn't quite work. Um, there are songs where it feels like he's straining. Mm-hmm. But like and I don't know if there's way. other guys in the band that are singing or if it's him double in it, but there are some really cool vocal parts and other parts. So it's just kind of inconsistent, I would say, from a vocal standpoint. Yeah. And uh, uh and, and his, his sort of fallback, like you said, on track one is to kind of go back to the shoegaze um sort of vocal style. Which isn't particularly hooky. No, shoegaze, you know, you you're never gonna get a big hook with a with that style, it gets a little it's dry. more about the mood. Yeah. The one band that uh, came to mind when I was listening to this, not necessarily with first song, but with the other stuff, is uh, I don't know if you've heard the new uh, "Pains of Being Pure at Heart" album, or oh, if you've ever listened to them at all. I've never heard that in my life. The f- it's the first album is kind of an indie twee like rock, but very soft, like not soft rock in the terms of like air air supply, but just fay kind of if uh like hipster am rock yeah okay but the new one that just came out way more in in the vein of this like i thought it was really interesting like 
uh, the guy from Ammonia doesn't have a powerful voice, but he's got an effective voice, uh-huh. and which is sort of what the guy from Pains of Being Pure at Heart has. And they sort of dialed back the feyness and brought up the guitar heft on the new record. Mm-hmm. So at times it has elements of like the Cure's moodiness. It reminded me a lot of that. Another standout song for me is uh, Keep On My Side, track three. It's, uh, I had that one noted as well. Kind of got a really different up-tempo verse. Uh, different for them, I mean, because they sort of tend to start to wander into the you know, shoegaze rhythm kind of thing where it's kind of slower. So this is definitely up-tempo, and then they switch it up where they go into a, more of a halftime part in the choruses. Um, but it's got a good sound. You know, lyrics are good. Um, it's pretty poppy. I think it's one of the stronger songs on here. I think um, one of the, the stronger aspects of this band is they don't repeat the verse chorus, you know, the, the loud yeah. chorus, soft verse, loud chorus. They play around with different structures. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned on track two, uh, with coming in quiet and staying quiet all the way through, halfway through the verse. And like you mentioned, on playing around with the time signatures or the, or the tempos on track three. Um, and they, they do that subtly throughout um, each of the songs where they, they don't go to a, um, a loud chorus necessarily where you think they're going to. And I think that helps since the lead singer doesn't have a lot of range. It helps in terms of um, making his vocals a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. If he had to just yell every time he got to a chorus, it would probably be pretty repetitive and bland. But since they're not doing that, it allows him to like... Try some different things. That might be interesting to have heard him do, though. You know, really lay into a vocal. I mean, he, he, like you said, he really stays in this one sort of range and this one kind of tone and doesn't really ever... And some of the music gets, uh, you know, pretty thick and fuzzy and pretty dark at times. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of nice if the vocal just found some spots where he could really kind of cut through and maybe yell a little bit or scream or something i don't know something but i mean it's it's like i said it's one of those things for me it's it's fun because it's uniquely australian in a lot of ways and maybe i'm alone to be able to recognize that but no i definitely heard what you were talking about when you when you said that i was like oh yeah there is definitely like some sort of magic dust that they put out yeah it's, like, it's just the, the i don't know it's like the scandinavian thing like they just interpret art different they just interpret cultures differently particularly american rock and roll and, and, and british rock and roll and the way they see it and put it back together again is different than people would do here so it's just i don't know there's something about those bands that i don't know if they're just pure because they haven't been inundated with all the you know the mtv commercial radio crap that and that we that in the states and in, in the uk that they have to be you know inundated with so they kind of have a fresh perspective on it. i don't know what happens but somehow they're able to put it together in a way that's different and uh it's kind of cool to hear so in the battle of um australian alternative 90s rock who wins ammonia or silverchair <laughs> You know, well, the thing that's weird is that it kind of reminded me of Silverchair, but not, like, like they were, I don't know. Like, it had the same, like, in the same way that Silverchair, 
they had a unique way to interpret what grunge was doing. I mean, not to say that they were a great band or anything. I, I am, a, you know, you, you got to give it to them that the kid was like 18 years old when they had that hit song. Not even that. He was like 17 yeah, or 16. I mean, like I would, they were young. I would kill to be that talented. But that's not an album I would be I'd probably be able to go back to and listen to and appreciate it all. I don't think. Oh I'd no, I, I have tried to go back and the first Silverchild album, Frog Stomp, is pretty rough. I think this holds up really well because it's so well produced and it's so it's so layered that you can keep listening to it and hear different things and you know the songs connect with you in different ways the more you listen to it. So it's a grower. Yeah, I, I would say it's a grower. It has enough hooks on it. I think it'll grab you the first time. Um, for some people, I think that are into the shoegaze thing, maybe into some of uh, the Britpop bands of the late '90s. Uh, there was moments on here where I heard uh, Manic Street Preachers a little bit, just you know, subtly, in terms of uh, you know, maybe they were a band that they were into, or just because they're around, you know, they were making a lot of albums at the same time. But maybe that's what uh, what similarity came from. I don't know, but I definitely heard the Britpop. I mean, I definitely heard like the earlier Blur stuff, the Supergrass, like you mentioned. You know, that end of the Britpop spectrum mm -hmm. was definitely represented here. Uh, not so much the like Oasis or Pulp. You know, that's that's sort of a the opposite end. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. But uh, I think we're kind of in agreement that this. this is it's an interesting. It's flawed, but it's an interesting record, and it's it's got a, a couple of really good songs on it. And it's definitely worth checking out if you're interested in Australian '90s alt rock. <laughs> I mean, if, you're, I, if your collection is incomplete, if you're, I mean, maybe if you're even interested in any of those other albums that the producer worked on that you mentioned. I mean, yeah, I think there's a sensibility there that would uh, you might relate to with how this album is approached. Definitely. All right, well, let's wrap it up. I want to remind everybody to go to the Dig Me Out website at digmeoutpodcast.com where you'll be able to find a link to purchase this album on Amazon.com, one of our sponsors. And you'll be able to hopefully check out a video, assuming I can find one. I'm sure there's one on YouTube somewhere. I'll find that. Don't worry. Check out our sponsors like audible.com where you can download books for your ears which is the way I prefer to read books with my ears. I bought my they first book in, in 10 years. What'd you buy? Oh, well, I should say my first physical book in 10 years. Oh. At least 10 years, maybe more. Was it Sammy Hagar's No, I bought, I bought that as an e-book, so that doesn't count. I'm talking about a physical book. A physical book? What physical book would you buy? Eddie Trunk's Essential Hard Rock and Heavy Metal. Forward oh. by Rob Halford. Came today with Amazon. Nice. See, excited. Amazon. There you go. And there's lots of pictures, so I'll be able to actually make it through the whole thing. <laughs> Do you have to color in any of the pages? or? Oh, I just lost the file. That's all right. You got it? Yeah. All right, well, I'm just going to wrap it up here since I got that kick in the nuts. And uh, say thanks again to Jay for joining me. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed.
you know, I don't want to be like, this album sucks, and if you like it, you're a dick. <laughs> I want people to, like, you know, actually discover something they might like. I try to actually, when I'm picking albums, I try to listen to them first and go, well, this is something that we both will find something that yeah, we like, yeah. rather than have no, us both no, no. shit on an album. I appreciate that. 